Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto, it's September 6th, and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Gabon has become the latest African nation to see its leadership overthrown in a coup d'etat in recent years. Minutes after the ailing President Ali Bongo claimed victory in a disputed election last week, military leaders took to national TV to announce that the nation was under new management. This is the eighth coup on the African continent since 2020 and comes just weeks after Niger's government fell in similar circumstances, while military conflict is ongoing in Sudan. So why does the continent remain unstable? And is there any way to stop more countries going down the same road? Today, on the front page, we're joined by Stephen Levine, Professor of Political Science and Lecturer on African Politics at Victoria University of Wellington, to give us insight into why military might so often topples leaders. Stephen, what do we know at the time of recording about this coup in Gabon? I think the immediate cause was simply the re-election of the president, Ali Bongo Ondima. So he's been in power since 2009. And prior to that, his father held office from 1967. So together you've had one family in control of Gabon's politics for 56 consecutive years. You think about how many New Zealand prime ministers we've had during that period. So really, I think the immediate cause was frustration in respect of the absence of any kind of peaceful transfer of power over this long period. And this latest election result heightened those feelings. Politics in Gabon is something of a democratic facade. And basically, this contributed to the actions of the military deciding to take matters into their own hands. Stephen, what was the final straw here? I mean, when you look at that 56-year grip on power, what was the thing that really ended that? Well, I think one of the factors probably had to do with the fact that Ali Bongo, it was his third term. There was an expectation probably that he wouldn't stand for a third term. He did. There was a reasonably strong opposition. They claimed that the election wasn't um, properly held. But I think a critical factor here is that Ali Bongo had a stroke in 2018. So those people around him could see that this is a person who's in failing health. He's weaker than he has been in the past. And so I think they saw an opportunity to simply move in and take control themselves. And I don't think they had much patience for the idea that the democratic opposition should take advantage of this opportunity and step in either. This comes a month after Niger fell in similar circumstances. So what do we know about what went on over there? You're right that the coup in Gabon follows the coup in Niger, which has gotten a lot of attention. In that country, you also have a military regime taking power. They've imprisoned the president. What's quite interesting to see is their tenacity and boldness in defying criticism from France, which is the former colonial power, Criticism from the United Nations, criticism from the continent-wide African Union, which has suspended Niger, and direct threats from the regional West African organization, ECOWAS. Now, ECOWAS is not just a paper organization. It's actually intervened to overthrow coups and civil wars 
elsewhere. So it has actually been an effective military group. But these coup makers, despite international criticisms and direct threats of intervention by ECOWAS, have been completely defiant. They've also organized public expressions of support for their intervention. And further, they've obtained promises of military assistance from some of the other military regimes that have come to power in West Africa, which, of course, would then open the possibility of a regional war between the ECOWAS countries on the one hand and at least three coup-governed countries on the other. I charged atmosphere in front of a military base in Yemen, where hundreds of French forces are camped. Niger security forces barricade the entrance, denying access to thousands of coup supporters. The gathering is part of plans by supporters of the junta to pile up pressure on French troops to leave. So a lot of these countries that fall to the military end up closing their borders and restricting the country to outside aid and resources. How worrying is that in some of those countries, given that they're still viewed as developing, to be shut off like this? I would see the closing of borders as simply an announced step. Insurgents have already demonstrated in this region, in Niger and elsewhere, that it is very difficult for governments in those countries to effectively close their borders and effectively monitor their borders. And as for restrictions in aid and external resources, the experience is these restrictions prove to be temporary. When coup leaders remain in power, ultimately, aid, trade, and commercial investment is resumed. And further, in this particular situation, there are now new partners, China, Russia, Iran, others, which are not cutting off aid, which are actually offering new aid and investment opportunities. And their assistance is non-judgmental. It's not contingent upon democracy, free elections, and so on. It's a chance for them to extend their influence economically and politically. So I I see the closing of borders and uh, the cutting off of assistance and expressions of international disapproval as being inadequate to bring about change. These countries also deny diplomatic visits from their neighbors with Niger's military leaders rejecting visits from their neighboring blocs. What does that say about the state of relations between those nations and the stability within the country? Well, I think in this particular case, it indicates that the new regime is not going to be bullied or intimidated. The relationships are not as close as they've been said to be in the past. And this is a test of those relationships. And they've proven to be fairly brittle. This is the eighth coup in the last four years in the coup belt, as it's known. Gabon and Niger have joined Sudan, Chad, Mali, Guinea, Burkina Faso. All those countries except Gabon neighbour each other. What has caused the instability across this band of countries? Well, the prevalence of coups reflects broadly two things. First, there's the absence of peace and stability. All of them, except for Gabon, are countries which have been experiencing chronic insecurity, violence and internal disruption from a whole host of militant groups, so-called non-state actors, many of them motivated by political or religious ideologies, which are not easily susceptible to negotiated settlements. Now, when a government is unable to protect its people and unable to safeguard its territory, it's inevitable that it's going to lose popular support and open the door for another armed group, in this case, the military, to step in claiming that the government is failing, failing to give the military the support it needs to do the job, and arguing 
that it needs to step in to protect the country's independence and sovereignty and to protect the people. So that's the first thing. Second contributing factor is much broader. There are long-term consequences, in my view, when a military coup is successfully carried out. A coup culture, a permissiveness towards military intervention is established. We saw this in years past in Fiji. One coup not reversed, despite international disapproval, leads eventually to another. So in Africa, following the wave of independence, the end of colonial rule in 1960, with the establishment of independent countries with democratic constitutions and elected governments, there was, as a result, much hopefulness all around the world about independent Africa and its future prospects. And I will stress the significance of the very first military coup, which took place in the small West African country of Togo in January 1963. The president's name was Silvanus Olympio. He was assassinated. Ultimately, the man who claimed to have killed him became the president. This first military coup in Africa succeeded. And because it succeeded, it sent a message to other military leaders all across Africa that they could overthrow elected leaders. Many of them were well-educated members of an elite supported by the former colonial power. But the military saw from the Togo example, oh, we can do this. We can get away with this. We can take power. So a successful coup makes the unthinkable no longer unthinkable. And I think that's what we've seen across all of these West African countries that you mentioned. If you're enjoying this episode of The Front Page brought to you by the New Zealand Herald, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Is the problem here the military, the politicians, incompetence or a combination of all of that? Clearly, there are problems with both the military and the politicians. Unfortunately, in many African countries, there are politicians who seek to extend their rule and that of their family indefinitely. And that's not what we mean by a democratic, constitutional, stable political culture, which anticipates peaceful, orderly transfers of power on a regular basis. A leader who is genuinely concerned for their country's well-being contributes to that kind of process, respects term limits, and allows for democratically contested elections. As for the military, they also share responsibility. Norms of civil control over the military need to be inculcated amongst members of the military from the lowest ranks to the highest positions. These recent coups in the past three years that you mentioned, they actually extend beyond West Africa. Tunisia's had a presidential takeover of power, for example. And all of these coups challenge efforts by the African Union to declare and enforce the idea that military coups violate basic values and norms to which all member states are expected to adhere. There are 55 countries that belong to the African Union. Every one of these countries has endorsed and subscribed officially to various charters and rules setting forth high ideals but there's no guarantee that they will live up to them. Neither the politicians nor the military appear to have the will or the capability to comply with the high standards that the African Union has articulated and that they've officially signed on to. At the moment, roughly 10% of the African Union members have experienced military coups over the last three years. So just as in Southeast Asia, where ASEAN, the regional organization, 
has been unable to do anything to overturn the military coup in Myanmar, demonstrating the organization's weakness. So too, the African Union is presently demonstrating its weakness in its inability to prevent or reverse all of these illegal and unconstitutional military takeovers. Stephen, I suppose the repercussions here could be pretty grave for the entire globe. Africa is seen in a way as the future of humanity. United Nations estimates predict 40% of the world's population will be found in Africa by the end of the century. Yet the continent, as you've said here, is responsible for 102 of the 242 coups globally seen since 1950. So... How important is it for the continent to find stability and keep these from happening? I think it's an excellent point that you're making to point out that there's been such significant population growth in Africa so that the African population really will be quite a significant demographic force worldwide. Many people will find this surprising, I think, because much of the news we have about Africa dwells upon famine, droughts, refugees, uh, disease, disasters of one kind or another, giving you the impression that there should be significant population loss. In fact, all of the bad news about Africa, including the coups, it projects an unbalanced image about Africa. So it's worthwhile pointing out, at least in passing, that there are African countries which are stable and democratic and prosperous and respect global norms and offer stories of success. Botswana to the north of South Africa being one example, and African Union island states, including Mauritius, the Seychelles, and Cape Verde being others. But clearly, unrestrained population growth represents an enormous challenge for African governments and their leadership. Getting back to Gabon, which is where we started, you think about this. In 1960, at independence, the population was half a million. 60 years later, two and a half million. That's nearly five times as many people. In 1960, by contrast, New Zealand had around two and a half million people. Today, we've got a little bit more than five million people, which is only twice as many. The other coup country that we looked at at the beginning was Niger. At independence, it had a little bit more than three million people. Now, there are 27 million people. Wow. The same size, the same resources, but eight times the number of people. And this is a reality all across Africa. And it is one that has and will have enormous consequences in the future for Africa and for the entire international community. Stephen, are there concerns that these coups could spread beyond these borders? You look at the Western coastal countries like Nigeria that are predicted to all rapidly grow their populations in the coming decade, but are surrounded by these junta states. What about these big, powerful countries like Nigeria? Could something like this spread into their borders too? Well, of course, Nigeria has had a history of coups and uh, civil war and really the most terrible violence. There was one coup which, when it was completed, the coup makers executed more than 60 people from the previous regime. Most of the countries that have recently had coups have been former French colonial possessions. And I think that anti-French feeling has been in much evidence in the aftermath of these coups. Of all the countries now under military rule in the region, anti-French sentiments are particularly high in Mali and Niger. Supporters of the coups in the Sahel region see France as propping up leaders, who in turn give unfettered access to their country's resources. In the last 12 years, our Western allies, France especially, were more interested in our resources, while we wallow in poverty and lack of security. 
there's definitely scope for further coups elsewhere. Really, the challenge is for the leaders of the governments elsewhere, in Nigeria, Ethiopia, North African countries, in South Africa itself, to deal with the same concerns that we find here in New Zealand, housing, healthcare, education, employment. If young people in that growing population are unable to gain jobs, their frustrations and discontent can only lead to further upheaval, particularly in countries in which there is enormous wealth, which is actually being held by a small group of people who use their positions in government for their own personal enrichment. So you definitely have some African leaders and their family members with very healthy bank accounts in Switzerland. And as this becomes well known, obviously popular feeling builds up. There's definitely scope for further coups, and we can predict that there will be further coups in the next few years in some of the other African countries as well. Stephen, can the rest of the world help ease these tensions, or is it better for Africa's future if the countries within the continent are working together to fix things? It's not really a choice, I would say. The rest of the world, governments and non-government organizations alike, cannot help but take an interest in Africa's affairs. At the same time, there is an existing network of African regional organizations, of which ECOWAS is only one, and they need to work together in a supportive capacity, working cooperatively to deal with problems of security and poverty and climate change, to name but three. All of these have an effect in Africa and internationally, but they can be dealt with effectively and harmoniously. And for New Zealanders in this respect, getting back to Gabon, I would stress that apart from its coup, which is probably the first that many New Zealanders have heard of Gabon, it's really a country that we should know more about and should strongly admire. Gabon is a leader in what's known as the Central African Forest Initiative. It's a leader in preserving the African rainforests, contributing to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It's established a network of 13 national parks dedicated not only to preserving the rainforests, but also the lives of the animals who live in those rainforests, including the forest elephants, more than 50% of whom are to be found in Gabon. And this forest initiative actually involves several African countries working together to prevent deforestation, and it has gained significant international support in terms of funding to allow this to succeed and go forward. So really, this is an example uh, in Gabon and its surrounding countries of African countries and the international community working together in a productive, praiseworthy and harmonious fashion. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Then tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.